Welcome to CinemaScope, a new podcast from True Story FM. Hi, I'm Andy Nelson, co-host of the Next Real Film podcast and Movies We Like. As a passionate movie lover, I've always relished exploring the diverse landscape of cinema. And when you look closer at the taxonomy of genres, subgenres, and film movements, you see an intricate web of interconnections and influences. This complex cinematic family tree spans only 125 years. So how did styles as diverse as the French New Wave, New Queer Cinema, and Ozploitation emerge? What cultural, economic, and technological forces sculpted these styles? And what hidden threads unite them all as part of the same fantastic art form? Those questions sent me on a journey to explore each style and trace their impacts, all to better understand the bridges between different styles. And that led me here to CinemaScope. In each episode, I'll be exploring one particular genre, subgenre, or film movement in depth, inviting expert guests to help us all better understand what defines that style, how it came to be, and what branches it, in turn, influenced on this big cinematic family tree. For example, how did German Expressionism shape American film noir? What's the difference between Westerns, Spaghetti Westerns, and Brazilian Nordesterns? We'll examine the economic and socio-political forces that birthed categories like black exploitation, and we'll spotlight visionary films and directors key to the evolution of different styles. So join me as we explore the complex forces that shape film's evolution and appreciate the diverse creativity possible in its relatively brief history. Let Cinemascope be your guide to understanding this art form we cherish how its genres blend, bounce off each other, and advance a rich tapestry of storytelling innovation. Together, we'll gain a deeper appreciation for this wondrous, shape-shifting medium. Our journey begins soon. Be part of this adventure by subscribing to CinemaScope today. digital digs because you have stumbled upon a special trove of significance. This is the film board from the next reel on rashpixel.fm. Each month we gather a gang of thugs to dissect a brand new movie just released in theaters and then we open it up and leave it out in the sunlight so it is thoroughly spoiled for you. But, but not in a gross way. More like a thanks guys now I can't be surprised by all the scary monsters way. And that is particularly relevant this month because these thug holes made me go watch The Mummy. <laughs> My name is JJ, and I don't like scary movies because I do not appreciate the emotions accompanying fear, and I have difficulty discerning fantasy from reality. Okay, I feel good. <laughs> so the three dudes here to tell me that it's okay to look now are Steve Sarmento. Hey, welcome to the dark universe. Andy Nelson. You can just call me thug hole number two. And Tommy Handsome. Hey, welcome to the dark universe. Oh, wait. Okay, yeah. 
before we go any further, you should check out all the fun stuff about this show and its sibling shows at thenextreel.com. Go subscribe in your favorite podcast app or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Reel to get clever content about the movie industry and see what new films we're talking about each and every week. All this stuff is created for free with love and agony, but you can help minimize that agony by visiting our Patreon page. For as little as $1 per month, you could become a patron of the show. It floats our boat a bit through our monthly responsibilities and gives you some of your own fun patron perks. Check out our page at www.patreon.com slash thenextreel. Don't be scared. This is a good thing. I promise. Okay, I feel good that I went ahead and confessed my fear up front. So let's hear if any of these guys were scared by The Mummy. What do you think, Steve? It's not a scary film. Um, says you. Yeah, says me. But I, I think, you know, <laughs> the problem with this movie was it's sort of like when someone gives you root beer and you think it's Coke and you're going to have this weird <laughs> reaction to it. But it doesn't make it bad root beer. And I think a lot of people are expecting Coke and got root beer. And I think the marketing is partially to blame on that. This was a fun, like young adult adventure movie about monsters, just as the 1999 version was. It's a light, silly adventure story with some spooky moments. I enjoyed it. So the Coke that people were expecting yes. was scary movie, in your opinion, and the Root beer was Brendan Fraser. Yes, exactly. I think okay. people were expecting like an adult action thriller and they got something that was a lot lighter and a, like I, like young adult, and you know, lighter, you know, sillier in some aspects. And I think that's why people have been disappointed with this film. All right. I just felt the need to define the soft sure. drinks there. Uh, Tommy, what was your thought? More of a Fanta. No, um, I, uh, I, it's, I'm heartened by hearing what Steve just had to say because I was expecting to be the dis, the discord of the group because based on the reviews, I mean, the reviews of this film are disastrous and I actually, I'm not exactly sure how those reviews played into my opinion, but I really enjoyed it. While I know that there are huge problems with the script, huge problems with characterization and chemistry, huge problems with casting i mean across the board there are huge problems i had a surprisingly fun time at this movie and definitely enjoyed it more than most um superhero movies talking about starting franchises that we've uh, watched together i had a great time don't believe the hype i think that's the message there andy andy how did you feel i wish i had a great time watching this movie i really struggled and i knew what i was get- getting i knew i was getting root beer when i walked in or coke or whatever <laughs> Whatever the analogy is, now I'm confused. I knew what it was. I knew who all the people involved, but I just, I just didn't feel like they delivered on creating a, a uh, good product. And you know, it just, it was flat. If anything, for me, it, you know, I got my drink, but it was flat. I, I just, I, <laughs> I felt the um, everything about it was just kind of a miss, and it was really frustrating for me because I, I know that Univer- uh, Universal is really kind of pushing this whole dark universe thing. They're trying to create their own cinematic universe um, based on all their their kind of creature features from the '30s. And I think that's kind of a fun idea. I mean, they certainly did it in the 30s, 40s, 50s with, you know, making them over and over again. Um, Why not continue? Um, But I just feel like if you're going to do it, start it off right. And I just feel like it was the script was not fleshed out fully. The characters were just really flat and uninteresting. And uh, like Tommy said, I think they, they cast it poorly. 
and I really struggled with it across the board. That is, and that's interesting to me too, because I that when you're talking about the the mythology or the the franchise building that they're doing here, that's the one thing that I liked about it. I I liked that they were pointing to this grand story. Uh, that they're going to go into with further detail, but everything else, I agree with you. That I, I felt like it was super flat. I felt that the story was almost I- insultingly bad in the first half of the movie. <laughs> the idea that any of their silliness was actually comedy was ridiculous. No, Agreed. no one laughed one time in the theater. It w- it was like I w- if they were on stage in front of me, I would have felt sorry for them. Because it was that bad in the way that they were trying to deliver sarcasm. It was just, and you know, and I think Tom Cruise is funny. I've seen him play absurd, very funny, and laughed at him a lot. But I don't think of him as comic. And that was, you know, I agree that they were trying to make the Brendan Fraser mummy. uh, Or trying to get the same tone. And I think they failed at that spectacularly with this movie. So I think the movie is like my, my whole thing about the, the movie for me is we've already talked that this is not my genre. They, they're not going for my kind of movie viewer when I come here. So the part that they needed to hit on, I just felt was kind of dumb. And the part that they, you know, did the action stuff when they went into the end, that's the kind of stuff I don't want to see anyway, because I don't want to be scared, but I was excited by the whole mythology and where the story is going to go. I, even though I didn't like the movie, I am still interested to see what they're going to do with the Dark Universe. It didn't turn me off to that. And I hope all the hype and all the bad reviews and hopefully its performance doesn't keep them from making those other movies because I am kind of excited to see what happens with that. So um, so that's interesting. It's, it's a weird thing where I don't think it's as bad as everyone's saying it is, but it is still pretty bad. So, soft drinks aside, uh, what do we think about the story there? Uh, I talked a little bit about the comedy, and Tommy, you said you agreed with that, but what was the silly fun for you then? First of all, I think this movie needed more writers. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think there was like 18 writers that were listed, they just kept showing up. Um, Right. There was no silly fun for me. I was actually really pleased with how dark it was. It was much darker than I thought it would go. That while it was an adventure film at heart, that I was really pleased. See, this is why I'm sort of of two minds. I have a feeling that I'm giving this movie potentially a bit of a pass in the way that certain people give... The Hobbit. uh, Superhero... (laughs) The Hobbit or fantasy films or superhero movies in a way that I can't access. Because of the darkness, I think this film weirdly threaded the needle where I was like, that was a terrible line, that's a terrible... Uh, character this is all not making sense and yet i'm kind of riveted because it is your genre it is what you want to go it is my genre and it's not really a horror film but i like that they're leaning into darkness and i love like you brought up the mythology i love the idea of this group i don't know why we would put dr jekyll in charge (laughs) (laughs) that's an odd yeah that's like yeah um (laughs) but uh but I mean, but I liked that the darkness really went there and there was some real violence and there was some really dark stuff. I mean, the movie opens with infanticide. Uh, I kind of liked that it went that way while it still has all of these horrible problems. And yes, the comedy was a disaster. I actually have a theory that because none of the, I felt really bad for Jake Johnson, who I really love. He's really funny. Um, and they put so much weight on him. I kind of feel like maybe early test audiences were like, hey, this isn't root beer and what's going on. 
So they started putting him in in these wacky scenes, which didn't work. Um, that The humor was a really big problem for me. Also, you said that Tom Cruise can be funny. He can be funny if he's written precisely and usually absurdly, like right. really strong. Agreed. Where he can go in with that Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise, I'm sorry, in, uh, intensity and just be like the guy from Traffic Thunder screaming and yelling and go yep. for it. Right. A lot of the a lot of the uh, humor they tried to put on him isn't fair because it was actually it was sarcasm and like uh, it was humor based on silence of like let's have the silence and then kind of a funny reaction and all of that fell really flat. He's not good for that. The director and the, the director should have said this is not the way to go for him. I think that just, I mean, across the board, I think all the problems I have with this uh, film are script related. I just, I, I don't feel, I mean, the comedy I don't think was was uh, well designed, well thought out. Uh, we already talked about how it cast, but as far as the, the, the story, I just don't, I felt like it was just, they just kind of rushed into getting this created and they, they're like, we got to create this universe. We got to put it all together. Let's slam it all together. And it's like, uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't an interesting story. And I just felt like, this big group of writers, a lot of, of them, I really like some of the stuff that they've done. I mean, David Kep, Christopher McQuarrie, I think they've both done some really interesting things. Yeah. Uh, John Spates, I mean, even the, the Kurtzman-Orsi pair, I mean, they've done some interesting, fun films that I've enjoyed before. Um, you know, I just, I, don't, I didn't feel any of that. And I just felt like this was one of those things where there are too many cooks in the kitchen and nobody could really clarify exactly what they were really trying to do with this film you know was it a was it this possession film was it this this adventure story it just it became a big mess for me do you think it was there was too much pressure put on the writers to introduce way too much all in one film like to really start a franchise is that part of the problem you know i was thinking about that and i was wondering does it make sense to to really dig into the the whole dark universe uh cinematic universe thing in this first film or would it have been better to make it as like a one-off but then you know something like you know king kong skull island where you have just kind of the tease at the end of that where it's like oh it's leading into something much bigger um would that have been a better way to go or even or like nick like nick fury showing up russell crowe showing up at the end being like hey we're gonna start having a club to get rid of this and it's called Perineum? What was I don't remember what was his dumb company's name? Per- I think I don't think it was Perineum or something like that. <laughs> I, I think yeah, and I, like would that would that have been better? Maybe. I, I I'm not hundred percent sold. Um, but I you know, it does make me wonder if because they wrote it this way, they ended up having to kind of, you know, change the the focus of where the, the real story should have been. Well, and that's 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 interesting when you talk about when we're talking about this franchise building thing, right? Because if Russell Crowe is going to be here and there's going to be a role for Jekyll, it, it, they evidently felt that it was important to start that story here. But uh, the, another movie that we that I think of like this is, you know, uh, Split and Unbreakable. Those, you know, they don't reveal anything until the last possible moment uh, with what's going on with them. And yet that is still this through line that's there. I, with it, if it is perennium or... It's prodigium. Prodigium. It's thank you. Thank you, Steve. It's uh, potentium. Yeah, that's what yes. I was going to say that. I didn't know if it was okay to say. <laughs> um, but, it, it, you know, I would have liked to have learned more about that. I, you know, I've seen a lot of complaints that this movie had too much exposition, but it didn't have exposition about the stuff that I wanted to hear about. I would, I was interested in the universe and it didn't go there for me. I didn't think the story it, it, as a one-off was 
was big enough and it was it felt a lot like the speed of something like the da vinci code or something where it's just uh, action piece into action piece into action piece or you know it 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 reminds me of a lot of recent Tom Cruise movies that I've seen where there isn't a whole lot of story. There's just a bunch of set pieces for them to demonstrate things. And, uh, and, and I think it, it, I needed more of the big story and less of the individual story that was going on here. See, I, I'll, I'm going to speak to the Hyde thing and, and what I see as why that was introduced in this film. It's the direction they, they took with the story because you, you have Tom Cruise who's not playing your typical Tom Cruise hero. He's not the smartest guy in the room. He's not the bravest guy in the room. He's playing, again, trying to go against type of what he's typically cast as. Here, he's sort of this shady character that's doing what's necessary to survive. And the whole hide, the whole conversation that we have back in Prodigium where he talks about what they're doing and all of this is that sometimes it takes a monster to defeat a monster. And to me, that was necessary information for Tom Cruise to have when he makes his decision sort of there in the big fight with the big bad of what he's going to do. And it sets his character up to face a similar conflict and struggle that sort of Jekyll and Hyde embodies. And so to me, there was a parallel going along there. And if you were going to do this as a straight Tom Cruise movie, sure, you could have removed Prodigium and all that. But because they were going a different direction with that character that's going to balance this whole internal struggle of good versus evil. To me, it was necessary sort of subplot to set up that theme that was going to play out in the climax of the film. So does that make it better or worse that it's included in that way for you? To me, it makes it better because it's it tells me what kind of film it's trying to be. As soon as Hyde, you know, Jekyll and Hyde, we have that whole, when he explains what Prodigium is doing, it's, it's laying out to me the whole theme of what the dark universe is all about, which is he's studying evil. And is it something that's contagious? Is it something that can be immunized against? It's this whole exploration of what is the nature of evil. And that to me was setting up. This is what these films are going to be about of exploring characters that have a struggle an internal struggle with what it means to be good versus evil, what makes a person a monster. And to me, I am so happy that this is probably the most face, faithful representation of Jekyll and Hyde from the original novel. Because Hyde is not, you know, this, you know, horrible monster. It's in the novel, he is basically, it's a story about what happens when people are absent their moral sense. You know, they have no sense of right or wrong. It's just all pure ego and to me, they're bringing that. Sociopath. Yeah, they're bringing that back in here a little bit. Now they have to exaggerate it a little bit for, you know, dramatic effect. But he doesn't turn into some like huge, completely different creature. Yes, he's right. And I, that's again, I think what I liked about this is when you let your baser instincts take over. What does that do to you? And it's exploring those themes. And I think, you know, in that whole dark universe of different stories, you're looking at people that are going to be struggling with. We know what it means to be a good person. You know, it's, you know, the werewolf. You've got this whole transformation thing going on with all these characters. And I, I'm looking forward to how they explore these themes. And I think because they're making this, to me, in my opinion, you know, more accessible to like, you know, a younger teen audience going PG-13, it's, it's going to be something lighter and fun, but getting kids to perhaps think about sort of these, these things of what does it mean to be a good person? Well, and I actually, that, that theme, I hadn't thought about that, but if that theme is going to be a through line 
if throughout the dark universe i'm i'm really interested in that too even more than just the mythology pieces that they had in this we see that alex kurtzman the director here is already is already slated is he producer or also just or also the director for van helsing the invisible man and bride of frankenstein so far he's just listed as producer on the three and then also as a writer on bride of frankenstein so maybe I don't that's know, why there's you know. six writers on this maybe they're passing this thing around to make sure that they have consistency throughout the universe. I, I'm That's totally hypothetical at this point, but there, I mean, maybe that's why so many hands are touching it because they want to, they want to bring some level of consistency to it. Yeah. Who knows? I, I, to your point, Steve, I, I think that actually what you said, a lot of that is why I was kind of struggling if, if the script would have been better or worse, if they left all the prodigium stuff out of the, out of the film. Because it was pretty interesting, and I do like that they are doing this setup for the Dark Universe, and and I find that whole aspect of it to be exciting and interesting, and I'm all for it. I I mean, I you know somebody uh, there was some you know, advertising that they did for the Dark Universe, and they said you know it was kind of the original cinematic universe, and I was like you know it kind of is. I mean they they had you know you know Frankenstein versus the Wolfman, and I mean the, all those things where they were already kind of blending them all together. So sure, why not? Um, I, I think it's a fun thing to do, and um, I am curious about how they're going to explore all these different uh, stories and blend them together. Um, so I, I, I do think it's an interesting element of the story, and probably for me it was the most interesting element of the story. Um, and it's just, it's just for me, it's just unfortunate that the story of the mummy, which the film is about, is where I really felt got the short shrift. And to Steve's point, and to your point, Andy, and to everyone's point, we all have points, is that the difference between this and the, this is the most obvious point in the world, but uh, the difference between this and all of the other franchises is they're making a franchise around antagonists, villains. So we need to have protagonists and introduce them probably to make it work. Otherwise, you're just watching... Uh, a bunch of jerks that we want to defeat. Well, and that's the whole time. That was interesting because I actually had that thought in the middle of the film. I think by the end of the film, we definitely recognize that Nick Morton, I think that's his name, right? Tom Cruise's character is a protagonist because of the struggle that Steve was talking about earlier. The struggle to deal with his power and how to not become a monster. But a lot through the film, it's really difficult to identify a protagonist. I wasn't really rooting for Nick at any given time. Did you guys feel like you had a definite person you were rooting for? I definitely did not. I mean, and we can step back from the mythology and we can, I, again, I'm on board of saying I like this film, but the script is very weak in its characterization. Tom Cruise doesn't really come off as a jerk or as a good guy. He just sort of comes off as Tim, Tom Cruise for most of it. Everyone just is constantly telling him what he is. You're a jerk, but you have good in you. You have a jerk. We don't really see any of that. So it's very lazily done as far as that's concerned, as far as character development. We can get into the, um, uh, whatchamacallit, the chemistry or lack thereof between uh, him and uh, Egyptologist Magoo uh, later. But um, yeah, but I mean, that was, the film is not good in any of those respects, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's why I felt. I think. I guess I feel feel like for me that it was really just a vehicle for the universe, which it 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 is. I mean, that's, I'm I'm not saying anything profound by saying that, but the rest of the movie was very weak for me. Darnell Darnell Smith, who has been on two of our podcasts before, uh, suggested. I saw it with him, as I see most things with him, and he suggested a really great simple idea. This is going into very much detailed and spoilerish material, 
Uh, but he suggested, I thought, a great simple idea, which would have made the film a lot better, is not have it start with that whole, with all of the mythology about Mummy Magoo up top, where Russell Crowe is talking to no one. He's talking to us. The only time that someone does in that movie, because throughout the movie, they recount the what she did and how she got where she was weirdly over and over again. Like we get that we get that mythology a lot about how she got to where she was. If we had if they had taken that out and just started it with uh, Tom Cruise in the desert with Jake Johansson, nope, Jake Johnson, uh, it would have been a slower, cooler. Am I losing my mind? Thing, meaning that as the thing crashes, that we're just waiting this entire movie for the main, if we can call him protagonist, Tom Cruise, to catch up to what we already know. And that's always kind of a distracting, disappointing way to make a movie. If they had taken that out and played it slowly, of because, I mean, with all of his revelations and weird, like, clips that he was getting in his mind and stuff, if they hadn't told that story and slowly leaked it, so he thinks he's going crazy because he wakes up completely uninjured from a uh, plane crash and is slowly realizing things, I think that would have made it really strong. I thought Darnell had a great point about that. I just wanted to bring that up. That's a great idea. I agree that that makes it stronger, but we're still lacking the script to actually carry it through there. I I, I agree pulling that stuff out, especially because the front end stuff that you're talking about, the mythology stuff on the front end was really clunky and terrible. The whole first shot, they showed the spark shot like five times in the first five minutes of the film. That's that's a huge exaggeration, but but they showed it multiple times and didn't need to. And the initial first shot or first sequence was all of maybe twenty seconds long, and they gave us a title card for it, and and then and then put the guy in the sarcophagus, and then it was. I mean, it was. They showed it again later on. It, it none of it needed to be there anyway. No. So I agree that it would have it, it made the film better, but it was. It was pretty bad on its on its on its own. You know, it's interesting though uh, because I I mean I can't remember exactly the the Brendan Fraser mummy. Um, was he a was he a an archaeologist or like somebody digging? Somehow he was involved in the military somewhere out there in the with the French Foreign Legion, and he was uh, I think he gets introduced. He's being hung for some type of crime. So again, he's sort of a a scoundrel. Yeah, he's the, sort of the lovable scoundrel. Indiana Jones. No, 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 no. Not quite Indiana Jones. No, because no, you know oh. Indiana Jones. You've got you know he's a he's a scholar. These guys, Brendan Fraser and and Tom Cruise, the characters they're playing are sort of the the lovable scoundrel that you you know will will maybe try to steal something or scheme something, but you know oh at heart he's not that bad of a guy. It's interesting. I mean, it's just you know going back to the original mummy. I mean, it's it's archaeologists who are actually doing the dig and. And the the protagonists in that in those films are not overly exciting. I mean, it's you know early creature features. They they weren't super strong on story, but um, it's interesting that for for both of these recent updates of that story, they've kind of chosen to go with kind of that uh, that lovable scoundrel as our protagonist. It's kind of an interesting direction that they've chosen to take, as opposed to somebody who is more of like a an actual like protagonist you know, good guy scholar who's really, really there kind of studying this stuff. It's kind of an interesting path. I don't does, know. Does it just make it for easy, like lazy redemption story? Maybe. Yeah, maybe it, it, it does feel a little bit that way. Right. Like the first draft of a character arc. It's just easy to make him have a bunch of people say, you're not the best. 
and then later you're the best. <laughs> right. What a great arc. <laughs> well, it was when it, it was super important in this film to be able to have the flashback of her saying, "I know that you're good somewhere in there." Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. It, again, I agree. I think it's it, it, it's lazy in terms of the character arc. Well, for so, sure. so Andy, I, the, this whole lovable scoundrel thing. Looking at when the the first, you know, the original Mummy was was 1932. Um, and there's there's a key film that I just watched uh, this spring with the urging of my brother that uh, he said, once you see this movie, you're going to see how many films are just owe a tremendous debt to this. And that is 1939's Gunga Din, um, which has I mean, there are so many films that borrow so many tropes from that. And I, I saw a lot of it in this one. And that's where you you know, this is this is Cary Grant sort of playing a, a lovable scoundrel character and there's you know it's the setting there's so many things that so many filmmakers have borrowed from that in sort of the modern uh, action adventure film that uh, i encourage everyone to go check it out you will be sort of dumbfounded at how much how many films have, uh. have gone back to this as you know either directly pulling from it or just you can see the tremendous influence and i see it all over this one as well but it's that that character type i think comes back to this um, you know, hmm. film which it which is after you know the original mummy and seeing you know something that you know has such a strong you know you know you've got Cary Grant you know I mean an iconic actor playing a specific type of character that it's easy to see why people would want to copy and borrow from that you know decades later makes sense to me yeah interesting going then to Kurtzman if if we can um, I was talking about the fact that he's kind of a Hollywood lifer. Um, but he's not really known for direction. This is actually his first big directorial movie. He's got tons of writing credits, tons of producing credits, but this is the first time he's been listed at the helm of a movie. Yeah, he's. Well, isn't that the new Hollywood thing? Is they find a indie a director that kind of made an okay indie movie and then give them an enormous budget? Aren't we kind of seeing that over and over and over again? Not, I mean, including Wonder Woman? We are, but Alex Kurtzman's definitely a different case because, I mean, he's been involved in so many big budget projects. I mean, he did, okay. direct, he okay. did direct at least that small film uh, that, uh, uh, what was it called, Tommy? People Like Us? Pe- people Like Me and people Us. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, he directed that a few years ago, uh, very small, uh, small budget sort of thing. But, I mean, he's been... You know, involved as either a writer or producer in so many of these big projects that he's definitely kind of been around and he, he understands the industry and he understands kind of uh, how things work. So I, I don't think he's quite the same as somebody like Colin Trevorrow who only had directed like one right. indie film before all of a sudden here he is directing these mega films or, okay. or any of these guys. Um, but but it did right exactly but it did feel like alex kurtzman i don't know i felt like i had a hard time figuring out sometimes like the 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 where i was in individual places especially when we were underground in the in the in the in the catacombs or the grottos or whatever they were it just it, it was very kind of just cuz it felt sloppy it just felt like somebody who hadn't directed something like this before trying to put it together not in a way where it worked the best to make the story make sense so I, I I was not a fan of Kurtzman's direction here. Uh, it, I, I, neither was I. I. I felt like it was kind of like an off the shelf direction in in like it was like a GeoCities version of a movie. <laughs> well, he comes out of TV. I mean, look where he got started. He comes out of he comes out of TV and he got started on you know Hercules: The Legendary Journey, Xena: Warrior Princess. 
You know, I mean, so, I mean, to me, that speaks volumes about sort of tone of the types of material that he's, you know, comfortable with. Then he, then he got hooked up with J.J. Abrams on As, on as a writer on those. Yeah, as and a, a writer, writer on those, those things. Right, yeah. But then moving up to executive producer on those things. And in, you know, TV, you know, the writer has a lot more power than in films, I think, uh, particularly moving into like, you know, sort of showrunner, you know, executive producer type of of role and looking at those, you know, TV shows, they're, they're light action adventure type of thing. So I can see why, you know, this type of film, you know, sort of falls into those, those tropes. And I agree. Yeah. There's, it was hard for me to piece things together. There was, there was a lot of times where Tom Cruise is going into trances or whatever, and then he's waking up and he's someplace else. And it, it was a little disorienting to sort of track how much time has passed. Where is he? Why is he there? Um, yeah, there were, there were some, some issues with pacing or orientation that I agree there, I think could have been handled better to keep us in the audience, as an audience, knowing where we are, when we are and, and who we're with or who we're following. So if we look at the, what they chose to do for that first shot, last shot, we already talked about the beginning sequence of a different exposition and then moving into the last shot of Tom and Jake riding off in the desert looking for another adventure. Um, it doesn't seem to be connected in any way. Not at all. So with Tom, we've talked a lot about Tom. I don't know if there really is anything else to say about him other than he was this sort of middle thing where he was trying to play against character. He did play Tom Cruise in this movie. Which was distracting. I really like Tom Cruise playing Tom Cruise the same way that I like George Clooney playing George Clooney. But... Um, it maybe would have been a little bit better to not have such a, as, as you guys have brought up, like he's always the smartest person in the room, uh, always the most brave, always the everything. So it's just sort of like Tom Cruise wearing someone else's clothes the entire time. Whereas I get it why they cast him. I mean, why wouldn't you, especially if you're starting a franchise, but if there was someone that could sort of disappear a little bit more into the role that you could believe uh, Darnell had brought up a uh, Joel Edgerton, I'm not exactly sure why, and he wasn't exactly sure why either, but just someone that could be a little bit more, yeah, I can see him as not being a little more on the edge of between a nice guy and a bad guy kind of a thing. Whereas Tom Cruise, it's kind of like casting Superman as a shifty character. That scene at the beginning on the top of the, top of the as they're being assaulted by the uh, insurgents, and he's saying, let me think, just let me think, just let me think. We're going to die up here. That It was just the most dry piece of confusing. I had, I, I, yeah. But but that followed a great, for me, a great humor moment, which was he was like, hey, nothing's going to go wrong. We're going to slip in and slip out to a hard cut to insane amount of bullets hitting, you know, walls. And they like run out. Like that's the kind of humor that they do in um, Mission Impossible. You have to know how to write humor for Tom Cruise. You can't put it on his shoulders to deliver like really big lines after a long time and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I didn't like that part either. I, I just felt predictable and, and again, not funny, but um, I do get how it's a contrast there. It just didn't didn't hit for me. The thing about Tom Cruise, though, and, and Tommy, you, you said this, that I mean, starting up a franchise, you could see why that they would go with somebody like Tom Cruise. And and I can too, because obviously he's helmed a good number of franchises and uh, can handle it quite well. Um, and internationally, and, he's sound. And yeah, right, exactly. And something like this, I mean, you get a name like Tom Cruise, and and even if 
the mummy doesn't end up doing stellar box office here, it hopefully is still going to have the international figures that they're looking for to kind of keep this dark universe afloat. Um, but you know, I it's but it's an interesting choice because as much as I I also really enjoy Tom Cruise. Um, now I'm getting a sense that, okay, so now he's going to continue being in this and he's going to be kind of like Russell Crowe. He's going to be this monster man who can, you know, he's got to be the monster to help get these bad guys in all these future films, um, as he rides off into the desert looking for more adventures. And I just couldn't help wondering is like, am I excited about that or am I not really excited about that? Uh, and, <laughs> and it was kind of frustrating for me because I really do enjoy Tom Cruise and I really enjoy these monster movies, but I'm just not sure it's 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 a fit. And it's, I don't know, it kind of makes me a little, I, I am excited for the Dark Universe, but I'm a little wary about it now too because of the potential. I mean, we saw his kind of monster face that one time and it was like, oh God, this that might not be the best thing to have to keep seeing in all these films. Do you think he was still, to skip ahead to the last shot, do you think, is he always looking like a monster man now? No. Because they oh, only showed they him, well, they only, they only showed him in silhouette at the end, uh, and then they covered his face and never uncovered it like they did in the beginning where we saw him. Is he now a monster person? That would be interesting. That's a good question. Only because, like, why shoot all of that in silhouette? Obviously, other than the clear ADR that they were doing. Um, but then also like why keep his face covered when Jake Johnson isn't covered? It's just something that I was wondering. I think huh. that's interesting. I hadn't considered that question at all. Because he's a man <laughs> with something to hide. That's why. He loves yeah, scarves. Right. Come on. And we say this stuff about Tom Cruise, but I actually, I actually really liked Russell Crowe in this. Oh yeah. I thought yeah. he was very captivating for a, a fairly unforgivable role of just exposition goo. Right. Right. Of just having to be the most pretentious person in the entire world, having a very unconvenient way of keeping himself from being high. (laughs) That's like (laughs) the longest little like serum gun to load. And it takes four and the suitcase only holds six. So he's always going to be behind. Just something to think about. (laughs) This is the important stuff that I see. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. It makes sense, but I think he played it right. I think that's the other piece about it, is that I it, I, I never questioned that he was doing that role. I thought in both places, in both Jekyll and Hyde, he was, he was convincing for me. And he wasn't insanely superhero. I think Steve brought this up. Uh, he wasn't insanely superhero strong when he was turning into Hyde. He was just... Sadistic. Yes. He was sadistic, but also split strong in the way of like, if you're able to dull out all pain and all muscle strain, this is what a human can do, right. is throw a really hard thing across the room. I like that. I didn't really care for his, like, little accent. I like oh, that he got yeah. lower class when he's high. <laughs> yes. I know that's part I know that's part of the thing. Yeah. But I just wonder when, like, yeah. Uh, I wonder, because his dumb plan of how they were going to defeat the mummy is let Tom Cruise become a god and then assume they could kill the god. I think that was Hyde's plan. And he was like trying to cover up his dumb cocky accent. <laughs> like, I think we should let him become a god. And like, yeah, like being all fancy and no one's falling for it. What about Annabelle? Jenny. Ugh. Jenny. Ugh. I don't know if I blame her, but as soon as she showed up, I was like, we're still making movies like this. We're still casting Denise Richards in a Bond movie as a scientist. Yeah, right. Yeah. Her outfit wasn't appropriate. She's just wearing boots. That's the only thing that makes me think that she should be on the ground. And yeah, I was just very disappointed by that. 
This is like Michael Bay casting is what that was. Yes. It was just it was yes. it was terrible acting, a uh, terrible choice. Uh I shouldn't say terrible acting. I just feel like her script, I mean everything about her role was just so flat and it was it was frustrating because it could have been an interesting role. I thought they did a lot more with Rachel Weisz in in the previous one. Yes. And yep. uh this one just yeah, it's just flat. She was uninteresting and um it was just kind of there was nothing to kind of a relationship there. Everything about it was uh, a miss. The chemistry was a joke. Well, it was an it was an odd chemistry because I mean it was really just kind of I mean they're really never they never pushed a romance angle that much, um, but you do have this moment kind of at the end where it's just like you know he's he keeps turning to her dead body in the in the water there yeah. looking at her. It's like uh, does he really is he his is he love, love for her, her? Like, is what is what brought him through her belief like what, in him. Right. Yeah, it, it but it just like it just it, they never played it up that way, and it's no. just it was one of those other script frus- script frustrations that I had. And they did it. The only reason that it possibly floated at all, not I don't think I made a pun, is that one scene right <laughs> before she's dragged away by mummy uh, under the water to drown. When they have that really tight shot, seemingly maybe like afterthought shot of him saying, her saying, "You're a good person," him saying, "I'll never let you go. I'll never let you go." And then she yeah. immediately dies. They had to set up that promise because otherwise, yeah, yeah they didn't like each other the entire right. movie. Yeah. <laughs> there was no chemistry. Like it was this last ditch effort of like, oh, right. We just finished the script and we have to remember that these guys care for each other because it sets up his entire reason for his sacrifice. And it's it, very lazy. Well, and they're, the, the even the big thing of her saying that she knows that he's good because he gave her the one parachute and that was... I guess a comedy line that she he said that there was he didn't know there was only one or whatnot, <laughs> yeah. but that doesn't actually work. There's a logic problem with that because they also used the joke when they went to the church that he was going to drive away without leaving her there with the mummy. So it, they, their whole relationship was written so poorly that I don't think she had a chance to to win over anyone in in the movie. I don't blame the actress. Right, yeah. it's impossible. And it, but again, if we t- look at it's a miscasting, right? It, I, there's, yep. it's a miscasting and a bad script, and there's, there was really no way for her to fight her way out of that. Agreed. So, Sophia, is it Butella or Bautella? Butella. She's playing the uh, uh, mummy. Amanet. Amanet. Imhotep to Amanet is where we've gone. Uh, I think she was completely successful in what she was asked to do in this film. Me too. Oh, yeah. I thought she was great. I I was frustrated. I I enjoy her. I think she's been great in in this and Star Trek and Kingsman. We loved her there too. Um, I think she's a fantastic presence on screen. But I just felt like with her as the mummy, I just didn't feel like there was much mystery or, or thrills with her, and and that uh, kind of frustrated me. I just I felt like they could have. Again, it's nothing with Sophia. I just feel like it falls on the the shoulders of the script. They could have written some more interesting mystery and Egyptian just intrigue with her that I just felt wasn't there. Yeah, and that to me in part goes to Darnell's suggestion. We're just given her entire story on a plate before the before the movie even really begins, and then she's just that straightforward thing. Instead of if you had gotten rid of that that whole like it burns. Like, you do feel for her at times. I did. Like, when they were pumping mercury into her, and um, and she's like, it burns, and the uh, Annabelle Wallace steps forward and goes, no, you can't do this. I was like, yeah, because this is cruel. And instead, Annabelle Wallace is like, because she can tell us stories. And I was like, <laughs> oh, no, I'm actually, I'm actually feeling 
weirdly for this character because our protagonists are doing barbaric that we're becoming monsters to defeat monsters and isn't that something interesting to talk about instead no we didn't uh but uh yeah i mean that mystery of her and like you're my chosen and all this stuff could have really been leaked out throughout the movie and then you think that maybe she's someone that that got a raw deal and then that turns out to be super the epitome of evil that would have been thrilling what a cool twist yeah and again failure of the story and i think the the other two people that we talk about here are jake johnson and courtney b vance they i mean in general we can talk about actors that we like in everything that we've seen and at times maybe even felt for in this film but just way underutilized or utilized in the wrong way Who's John Hanna? Filling in for John Hanna? John Hanna was the same comedic sidekick role in the Brendan Fraser version. Oh, gotcha. And he I was a much funnier, much better sidekick. And I enjoyed John <laughs> Hanna so much more. Uh, Jake Johnson was, uh, again, it's just, I mean, Tommy said it best. It felt like, uh, you know, the script needed to get punched up. So they go, well, let's put more funny stuff in with him. And it just never worked. And it was, it just was flat. And I Because I found him to be truly unsettling when he was first zombified oh, or whatever yeah. it is in yeah. the plane. Yeah. Like I thought he was like really scary and really effective yeah. when he showed up talking in slang. It was like, what are you doing? And I don't blame him. I mean, it's not his, even when before he was zombified, when they were running around uh, from ISIS or whoever that was, uh, shooting up all the people before all this whole thing began, they did that ADR mistake, in my opinion, of he was constantly yelling things. Yeah. Over and over and over. It was clearly ADR. Go! Uh, but run! Just, go! No! Why are you doing I hate you so much! You keep doing this! Go! You! <laughs> and stuff. And it was so much that there was just clearly a push for, we've got to lighten this up. We've got to lighten this up. And that's an ADR doing that kind of thing is like the worst way to do it. And it was... It yeah. Was, and so I don't blame him. <laughs> and it was a delicate balance to kind of have him coming back as the dead friend, much like American Werewolf in London, uh, which I think does it so well. And I, I, it's just, it was a hard thing to compare it with because it just didn't work nearly as well in this particular case. Yeah, I mean, it was it, it was like poorly executed. It was something that could have been sort of like, you know, Nick's conscience. It could have been this other, you know, internal struggle with him. Instead, it's, it's played more for, okay, we need to lighten this up. We need a comic moment here. Because I'm I'm looking at when are the po- when are the points when that character shows up? It's not consistent throughout the film. It's just like looking at okay, we need we need to lighten it up. We need a something here. So let's 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 bring him back. Because uh, there's like well, like a twenty or thirty minute span where he's like gone near the end of the film. You know, it's like he's not there at all when he could be this. You know, this this voice, this especially at the end when Nick's making this choice of what to do with the dagger. You know why. Why isn't he there to be, you know, this voice in his head, you know, pushing him one way or the other? There'd be more about, you know, again, there'd be more character there. But that, again, isn't what this film was going for. It was going for light for kids, I feel like. And that's the choice they made to go with. At the same time, and I, I should have mentioned this earlier when we talked about the last shot of, of, of Tom and Jake riding off through the desert. But that whole thing also felt so tacked on. And just like that, that felt like another, oh, we got to get another last little funny bit. Oh, let's have him bring Jake back to life. And Thanks like, for bringing me yeah, back to life. Like, what? That was, like one of, 
yeah. one of the most horrible like, things to throw in there at the last minute. I'm like, wow, did, did he just say that? What? Uh, well, in, in terms of the look and feel of the film, uh, I actually didn't dislike any of it, but I didn't find it any remarkable in any way. I didn't find anything from the camera that I felt special, but I wasn't distracted by any of the the hair and makeup or costumes or any of that. I felt like that all fit into the film well. Did you guys have any pet peeves with anything that you saw in what was coming in the production? Only the color palette for me. It was it was already too dull and dark in the way that it was shot. And then especially seen in the ambulance chase when already mentioned when he almost leaves her behind and then is attacked by a bunch of mummies. They also put that weird faux David Fincher bluish we're accentuating the night filter on it. And that made it really hard to follow things. I had trouble, like I was getting like a little bit dizzy watching some of that stuff because they had uh, filtered it to look even moodier, which I don't think is ever a good idea. I think that's fair. I saw a meme somewhere that said that the new uh, trope for Tom Cruise is that in every movie that he's in, he needs to be in a plane crash. <laughs> and coming up I mean, for American Made, well, right? That's we saw the trailer at the beginning. There's going to be a lot of crashing. Yeah, he does do a lot of running in this film. The typical, you know, Tom Cruise outrunning the, you know, big dust storm or cloud of doom, you know, through the streets of of London. Um, you know, I, I, you know, the look and feel. I did like. You know, some of the artifacts and things we see in the Prodigium, you know, headquarters, we see like the skull with the vampire teeth. It's sort of like they're dropping in the little hints and, you know, of like, here's and the black lagoon. Yes, hand. exactly. Right. It was, it was, a, you know, and all the weird sort of, you know, medical, you know, instruments on the wall. So, it, you know, it, it set up sort of like the little, like, you know, top secret, you know, base, you know, hidden in the museum that. You know, again, it, it felt, you know, sort of reminded me again of like Alias, where we've got, you know, the secret headquarters and fun gadgets. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more of that coming back in the in the future films. But, you know, there, again, there's. Yep. This the film's not great and it's not horrible. It's to me, it's very like, yeah, it it does what it does, you know, adequately in most areas. I uh, yeah, I, I agree. I The one area. um I don't know who I'd really, uh, I think it's just, it's the kind of the characters of the mummies themselves. I was a little disappointed that it just kind of felt like zombie people. Um, I mean, they acted a little bit different, but I, I never was a hundred percent happy. I never really got to see them that well. They just kind of, they all seemed so kind of fast and, and everything. I just never really got to revel in some good mummy stuff. And I think that was something I was a little frustrated with. Um, that it was just more kind of a, a mummy and a bunch of uh, zombies and stuff. And, I, I, you know, I felt like maybe the, the previous iterations have kind of dealt with um, the mummy compatriots a little better. Um, I, I was a little, I, I, I don't know if it really bothered me that much, but I, I did have to roll my eyes when we had the big face in the sand cloud again, like we did back <laughs> in the 99 uh, in those versions, <laughs> it's like, jeez, oh, it's such a silly thing to do, and I, I don't know uh, why they wanted to keep. Of all the things that they chose to pull forward from that series, that they brought that, it's like, really, we have to stick with the, right. her face in the cloud. Um, you know, it's kind of silliness. So I, I think the effects worked for me. None of them looked bad, but I just, I really wish that I had a better, a better handle on the mummies themselves. It, it, now, this is again, I'm very ignorant when it comes to horror films, but in your estimation i've always i've always looked at mummies as zombies how would you 
define what would you have liked to see different from mummy people versus zombie people uh, yeah <laughs> that's a good it question it feels like a really weird question i'm, I'm, <laughs> well, I'm even questioning the fact that i'm asking that right now but yeah for me cuz i liked the mummy kids or whatever we're calling them the zombies um i would have liked more consistency cuz at times they're like super jerky and i can barely stand up and then they like tackle Tom Cruise at like a full tilt when he goes in that one room. I didn't really understand how strong or how not they were, but I was, I was dreading like kind of a, I am legend of like that, that gross, so CGI looking kind of zombie or monster kind of thing. And the film did deliver a lot better on that in my opinion. Yeah, I, th- I I can't remember exactly how they were in the 99 ones, but they, they felt like more uh, just kind of people who had been buried a long time, kind of the, the rotted flesh sort of things. So and like shambly? Yeah, I, I guess that's kind of what I was thinking Oh, no, 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 more. no, no. Don't you remember the little like guardian mummies that are like, you know, really fast, climbing along walls, all of that stuff? I mean, the difference is, I think with... But they felt mummified, and I think that's well, yeah, thing. because they they were because they were ancient corpses versus these new ones, which are where she sucked you know like the essence out of them, so that it's like you know freshly made corpses versus you know then we do have the you know uh, in London you know in the crypt those guys rising out of their their tombs, which are you know more mummy mummies because they're you know nine hundred years old versus the guy she killed you know fifteen minutes ago. Well, and I liked, yeah, and, and maybe that's, I, I liked those guys more, whereas like an actual skeleton kind of coming to life out of the out of the tomb that felt like more of a mummy rather than the guys that she was just kind of sucking their souls out. And, you know, the, I didn't like those guys as much. Maybe, the, maybe that's more of my issue. At least none of them like were able to stretch their mouths open like the, the Brendan Fraser mummies. That was, that was ridiculous. <laughs> so, so you like the ancient corpses versus the I newer do. corpses. Yes. Okay. I guess I that's... enjoyed the, I enjoyed the swimming mummies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really, you did. I, I surprisingly yeah. liked that. I, I that was the shot. That was a I fun the scene. shot of all five or six of them behind yeah. him while he's swimming. Oh yeah, because it felt it felt honestly practical. Yeah. yeah. Oh. I love practical stuff, and this film felt more practical than it at times yes. than it needed to be. Not sand, not sand face. No. But like <laughs> the, when when mummies are getting up. Now I'm using mummy and zombies interchangeably but when they were getting up and walking around it felt realer than i was afraid that it wouldn't which i really appreciate yeah well that i guess that that makes sense to me i the 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 thing that i like about what you're saying there too is that that scene it didn't affect me as much when i'm in the thing but now reflecting on it thinking about it it reminds me of a specific kind of scare tactic and tommy you might be able to talk about this a little bit better but that's more about the slow fear of being able to see what's happening to you as you're going through it. And I'm thinking of like walking through a haunted house, which I, you know, hate doing, but they have the jump scares in lots of situations, but then they also have the situation where you can see something that's horrifying and you can see that it's going to happen and there's nothing you can do about it. Right. It's inevitable because you have to walk past it. Right. It was a practical way of doing something that was horrifying in something that, and that's actually pretty clever. I didn't think about it when I saw the movie. I would say terrifying versus horrifying, but yes. Speaking of the, you know, the practical, you know, mummies, uh, which was interesting because they they did look more practical, but 
clearly a lot of them are computer because, you know, Tom Cruise is putting his foot through their head and they're disintegrating to dust. They were, you know, very much like, you know, you got that sense of the hollowed, you know, dried out, desiccated bodies because he's, you know, you know, kicking through their heads and, you know, they're just crumbling to dust, but they did still feel like they had substance. They didn't feel like a bunch of little computer, you know, you know, not really there things that were flying around all over. It did feel like they had substance to them. So I I thought that, which is also a way to help them get their PG 13 rating. Yes. Because all of their deaths were bloodless. True. They just sort of like crumble into stuff. So it's kind of a smart way to do it. Interesting. Yeah, I also liked the uh, the action. I thought when um, when the mummy was fighting Nick and she was slamming him down, oh, or yeah. she was hitting him. I thought that was actually really effective. Um, mm-hmm. Those pieces of action, like the actual fighting pieces, I thought were were really well done there at the end of the movie. Oh, well, like when he charges at her and she just basically backhands him down to the ground, down to the ground. Yeah, that, that kind of stuff I thought was effective yes. and something that was special in a way that is not something that we usually see. One thing that I, one of the reasons that I did like this movie so much more than most of the superhero movies that we've seen either together or apart is the big boss fight at the end was so mercifully short. Yes. (laughs) That's where all of these movies I go to sleep in. I'm like, okay, even Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and especially Volume 2, where it's like, we just, Hollywood has this idea, like every movie is 20 minutes too long. Where they think, let's end it. It's not really the end, and then let's end it. It's not really the end. Everyone would have been fine with that second ending. <laughs> this one, when he becomes uh, uh, a living god and takes her uh, down, it's really quick, and I really appreciated that. And that's that actually. I just wanted to bring that up because that's just that is a such a weird um, blank spot or a blind spot for most of Hollywood. That I was just like, yes, I like that and thank you. And maybe in part, we don't want to see, I'm worried this might come off as misogynistic. Maybe we don't want to see a male protagonist beat up a female antagonist for a long time. Uh, Should I not say that? Because Wonder Woman just came out. Maybe take that out. (laughs) Either way, I appreciated the lack of the big boss fight. Well, and another other piece, Tommy, is that it's it was nice that it's just the two of them. It's not like they're decimating the city, you know, in their in their right. in their battle when he he you know becomes this oh, this god. Damage? You've got right. these two these two super powerful beings sort of you know fighting each other in this crypt, and they're not you know taking out entire city blocks you know with each other you know laying waste to the city in their attempts to destroy each other. It's 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 contained in a small space, it's very, very contained. Yes. Yeah. She made a bet. She made the wrong bet because he was able to conquer the evil inside of him. Yes. And the end. And then he just <laughs> puts her down because he's the god of whatever, death? I don't know. She's yeah. trying to basically convince him to come over to this side, to willingly give himself up. Because it's almost as if he's got to surrender himself to this to allow Set to come over and take over. And since he's still resisting, and he's resisting it and then does it to himself, it's he's not surrendering to this to allow himself to be taken over completely. He's actively like, I'm going to use this to, to destroy her. Cause I thought, how do you, how do you mentally fight off a, the God of death in your head? That doesn't make sense. How did he just not completely have to, you know, why did Nick's presence, not complete his consciousness, not completely be decimated by the God of death taking over his body. And I thought that's, that's the logic and rationale that I'm going to, 
take for myself to say this is how I'm going to make sense of this movie because, yes, it, it seems illogical that a god could come into a person's body and you, you'd you be able to will them out of your brain to say, no, no, I'm, I'm still going to have control of myself. So I had to find what was the logic that seemed to be there in the movie and it seemed to be that because he was still combating this, you know, he hadn't given himself up. So it's it's a problem and I'm, yes, I'm I'm going to delude myself with my little thing over here because I I enjoy the movie and I, I'm suspending yeah. my disbelief because it's fun. We're having to do too much work yes. to make it work. Yes, but it still. is. Yes. But then I liked but I also liked the elegance of the that the bad guys have two eye two yes. eye not two eyeballs, two irises. What are those two, called? Yep. Yeah. Well, two of everything. We'll, ne- we'll yeah. never know. Yeah. Anyways, uh two things uh, that when I originally, when she had that, I was like, oh, just someone thought that would look cool on a poster. But it did come to fruition at the end in a very easy way to show him fighting his own darkness yes. without having to, like, make him become a monster than not a monster or, like, weird hide veins in his right. head or whatever. Yeah. That was a very, for a very unsubtle movie, that was kind of a nicely subtle way of showing that final struggle within himself. I like that. Well, and I think that that I think when we're talking about the strengths of the film, we're talking about that potentially the strengths lie in the through lines and not in the story that we witnessed here. And that's and I think that hopefully that's because they're setting up something big for the future. Did did anyone get a sense of a dark universe theme musically or any sort of thing that brought was bringing us setting of the I mean, table oh, for I, anything? Brian Tyler's music was fine for the film. It uh, it worked in context of the film. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I liked the themes that he had. I, I'm just, I guess, I'll be curious to see how it evolves and and if you know the thing that one of the things that frustrates me about the the uh, the Marvel films is especially the Avengers group when they tie the tie all of them together. They they just don't seem like the composers do a whole lot of work to come up with solid themes and then find great ways to really integrate them all together um, in like the Avengers to really find a way to hey let's tie all of these characters themes into one massive theme that would have been fantastic I mean they they had some of them in there and stuff but it wasn't done as well as it could have been I hope that these guys are kind of trying to plan it in a way where they do a little better integration that those guys have it would be fantastic i i didn't recognize anything in particular that would be looked at as an overarching theme yeah, uh, i didn't either something different. except maybe the music they played during the dark the new dark universe logo that we get at the start of the movie that was fun that was an interesting little twist yeah i was surprised that they didn't have an, any kind of nick fury thing at the end that they didn't want to set up a little bit of the universe but maybe that's so Marvel's territory. Yeah, there was a, a, an like interview with with Alex Kurtzman, and some and an interviewer asked him about that, and he said, you know, Marvel does that so well, that's their thing. And he basically yeah, said, "We'll just sound like we're pretending to be there." Well, yeah, and he said, you know, maybe later on, you know, if it, the films merit that, you know, possibly, but no, it's like Marvel does that, and they do it really well. Let them have their thing. So we've all talked about how bad the hype is about this movie coming up, um, you know, and I don't think people necessarily remember the Brendan Fraser movie favorably, but it made a ton of money. Ooh, Darnell, Darnell loves it. And it made, I've a, never seen it, I mean, to be honest. its budget was $80 million and it made $155 million in the I USA. Think was, I think it was remembered very favorably. Oh, really? Yeah. It was pretty, oh, it was it's pretty fun. fun, I thought. Yeah, yeah. I think I, maybe the the reason why I'm saying that is because it devolved into a 
into a franchise that led its way to direct to video releases. Right. Yeah. Um, so there's that. But I guess my question is do, so the opening weekend for the mummy, for the Brendan Fraser mummy was 43 million here in the U.S. Do we think this movie is going to make that much this week? According to the, the numbers they're looking at, uh, hopefully hitting 30 million is what they're aiming for at this point. It made, it made only 12 million on Friday. And this is a movie that had a mega, mega opening. I mean, it opened in, in, and what did I put down? Uh, 4,035 screens uh, domestically, which is crazy. Um, and so it's uh, it's just not hitting it. I mean, Wonder Woman's playing on about as many screens, but it's making a ton of money. This is going to be way behind. But it is Tom Cruise. And like we said earlier, this is likely to kind of hit a, a lot bigger internationally. I think Universal's pushing for about $140 million overseas. So what does it mean? I mean, everyone is speculating that if it if it performs poorly, that there's going that they're worried about the future for the dark universe. Um, do we think that's actually in question? There's too much in production, isn't there? Yeah, they can always stop it. They stopped plenty of the uh, Narnia movies <laughs> when those were in production. Interesting, or not quite production, but I mean, they 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 managed to crank a couple more out, and they might crank a couple more out here, but it might die. Yeah, um, it, you know, it might not last like Marvel has. Darnell and I did a little bit of research after we saw the movie, and it might be wrong. It was very scattershot, but that the next Dark Universe one isn't planned to come out until 2019. They're not following the Marvel or uh, DC universe. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't know for sure that that's true, but if it is, it sounds like they're hedging their bets so they can put on the brakes. Because that's not how you do it. You're supposed to have a movie a year at least. Well, Marvel didn't initially. I mean, it took a while for them to get to that point. Well, now they've got how a bunch of them. Oh, really? A year, two or three a year. Yeah, but um, yeah, because was uh, it a slow with Marvel? Oh, yeah, it was yes, like definitely. you had Iron Man, and then what? It's like two the, or three years the, later. Then you had the next time you had like Ed Norton, Incredible Hulk movie in there somewhere, and in, in which was sort of a. It wasn't know, part of the universe, though. Technically, well, but was that one? Was yeah. that one they had planned Phase A? No, that was but that, that was it? yeah, that was before Phase A. They were just you know they did a couple, and I think sort of the idea came about. Whereas now everybody's trying to start with this preconceived universe. You know, DC's doing it here. They're they're marketing it that way versus you know Marvel that sort of like walked their way into that you know process. Right here, they're trying to sort of get it jump started. Yeah, Bride of Frankenstein is the next one which is is 2019. So, yeah, it's but they've already surprisingly an, late. and they've already announced, they've announced 10 films, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean yeah, well they've crazy. announced the cast of, you know, Johnny Depp as the Invisible Man and what Javier Bardem as, you know, Frankenstein's monster which I assume is in Bride of Frankenstein and what is uh I'm trying to remember what else what other casting they've announced. So I mean, yeah, didn't they have a Vanity Fair shoot where they were all yeah. set up? Yeah. Yeah. They've, they've committed to at least okay. a few. They've committed to at least a few to get going. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if they hold strong with that. I mean, 30 million, this is a $125 million budget. And we know that the international thing will take it over, but it, that's, it's less than the mummy made in 1999 by $1999. It's a rough opening for a franchise, no matter how you, well, and that gets into that issue of I was trying to remember what film was it that came out a couple of weeks ago, where the studio basically said, "Hey, these bad Rotten Tomatoes, you know, reviews are you know negatively impacting our box office. This Baywatch. isn't right." Oh, Baywatch, yeah, Baywatch came out, yeah. and it's and again, I you know, just as you know, 
with the circle. It's like, yeah, there's problems with this film. You know, like to be below 20% on Rotten Tomatoes seems, you know, just really ridiculously negative on this. And again, I, you know, to me, yes, there's problems, but I had fun. And no, it's not a great film, but this is not a bad film. It's something I will watch again and I will... I will enjoy it. It's not something where I stormed out of the theater like, I want my money back. This was a waste of my time. This is a horrible, you know, disaster. 19% is, I mean, I don't know what's going on with, you know, Rotten Tomatoes and these and, and critics. Or I'm starting to just not have confidence in that ability to aggregate and predict anything reliably because it seems like it has just swung so harshly negative there's no, like no middle ground things are either like 30 percent below or like 80 percent higher there's no middle ground that much anymore well and i think there is a conversation there to have about hype because you know i i find this movie to be comparable for me with wonder woman um in terms of how much i how much i liked it each of them have different problems i think the script of wonder woman is superior to this but but there were problems that i had over there on that side too and it's like the hype is so polarized between these two films and i think the the baywatch people actually have a point um in today's economy in this crowdsourced critical area that we are it is affecting things and it i mean you guys both admitted that part of the reason why you are uh, sort of on the side of the, this being a better movie for you is because you had such low expectations because of all the negative hype so it's we can't avoid what those messages are doing to us as we walk into theaters anymore i mean look the mummy it's it's 17 percent pirates of the caribbean latest one is 29 percent baywatch 20 percent king arthur 28 percent and then you've got you know megan levy at 80 percent it comes at night 86 percent wonder woman 93 percent captain underpants 84 percent guardians of the galaxy volume 2 81 percent it's like where are all our C plus movies? Yes, exactly. It's like people either like, yeah, this is this is an enjoyable film, or oh, this is garbage. And it's like there's no ability to appreciate something to say, yes, this was enjoyable. It's not my favorite. It's not great. It's successful and entertaining. It's like there's such heightened expectations, and that's where I, you know, in my opening statement, I said I don't know if it's the marketing, you know. Because I avoid trailers, I don't have expectations. I don't have like this hype of expecting something that they're completely unable to deliver on anymore. And maybe that's what's happening. There's just so much hype machine that it's impossible for some of these films to live up to it. They they fall a little short, and because people are, in, you know, embitter bitter about the fact that they didn't get what they wanted, that they just like trash it, which to me is you know overly harsh. Well, is that speaking to people should avoid Rotten Tomatoes like I do, or they should avoid the trailers? I mean, I don't look at Rotten. I haven't looked at Rotten Tomatoes in years because I've I just kind of gave up on the fact that I don't want to know what people think of something. I want to go into it, and I mean, I can appreciate the trailers. That's one thing they're trying to sell it to me, and I understand that. But I don't want to know what everyone else is is going to you know say. And so I think it's better to just avoid that sort of stuff and just you know look at it yourself. Yeah, but that's like I said. That's why I avoid trailers because then I I have no preconceived expectation of you know when you when you re-edit you know footage to make it look like one thing's happening in the film, you realize oh that's that's 
scene is now completely out of the context of the trailer that made it look like one thing was happening. I'm now disappointed because I thought you were going to give me one thing and you're give again, my Coke and root beer analogy. <laughs> of- well, I'll, well, Andy, I'll answer the question for you. You, w- what we should do is go to the people that we trust about their opinions about movies and listen to the conversation that they have once the movie ends. Right. That's, That's why people right. come to us. Exactly. <laughs> That's what here we're here to do, is to let people know what we think of the movies, and hopefully they trust us as well. If not, they can we're have We're the new Rotten one. Tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're okay. ripe. Um, yeah, so it, that, the, all that being said, I'm really interested to see how fair we are in the way that we look at this movie. It, it might be time for us to rank it. She works hard as the mummy. Uh, 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 uh. Just kidding. Quick job. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I like that. I was really excited for that. I started to write a whole thing about she works hard as the mummy, and then I thought that this is a terrible idea. <laughs> so I, oh. I also assumed everyone would hate the movie except for me, so I didn't want to go too far. <laughs> well, everyone That's should hilarious. check out Flickchart. Our Flickchart is at www.flickchart.com slash tnrfilmboard, and we go about ranking all of the movies that we watch uh, here on the film board every month. So I'm really interested to see where this shows up because we seem to be pretty fair in our assessment of it. So Andy, what's the first competition for The Mummy? All right, first up, we have The Mummy or The Circle. The Circle. The Mummy. Oh, dear. The Mummy. Was that three for The Mummy and one for The Circle? Correct. The Mummy. I'll take The Mummy, sure. Yeah. The Mummy or Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Give me some apes. Apes. The Mummy. Apes. The Mummy or Jurassic World. Jurassic World for me. Jurassic World. Aha! Jurassic World! Baby Triceratops! Oh. Steve? Oh, we just broke Steve. I can't. I can't. Because I did not love Jurassic World. I, I don't know. I, I guess. Yeah, fine. It was... Yeah, fine. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. The Mummy. Uh, two potentially disappointing films. The Mummy or Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. Mummy. Whoa. The Mummy. Mummy. The Mummy. The Mummy. Yeah, I would say The Mummy here. The Mummy or Avengers, Age of Ultron. 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 Is that yeah. the one where they had the big fight at the airport? No, no, oh, no, no, that no, was no. Captain America. No, the, this is the one where they drop. Way. This is the one where they float the big city, and James Spader is the robot with the oh, moving right. mouth. Lots of robots. I'm and... gonna. I'm actually gonna say the Mummy. I think. I'm saying Avengers. Uh, so that's three for Avengers. Yes. Yes. Yep. The Mummy or Snowden. I'll take Snowden. I have to abstain. I'll take Snowden. I'll take Snowden as well. Then I'll go ahead and take the Mummy. <laughs> <See>? <laughs> All right, well, that lands The Mummy at 26 out of, on our yay. flick chart. 26 out of 59. That's so it's, uh, yeah. it's uh, higher than I was thinking it would go. But, uh, you know, it had some pretty bad movies on the bottom half of yeah. our flick chart that lifted it up. <laughs> That's true. Now, for your letterbox ranking, where does that put it for you? For me, it actually puts it at 2.5. It's right in it. Like, it, it's really interesting that you guys were talking about C- where are our C movies in terms of hype? That's what this movie is to me. This is right in the middle. I would say 3.5 to, no, let's just say 3.5. Wow, that's good. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with three, three stars. And I'm going to go with two. Yeah, of course you are. Mr. <laughs> two, that's what they call it. Uh, like or no like, mine is a no like. I did not like the movie. Uh, my name is Tommy Handsome and I am a like. Steve? I liked this film. Andy? I actually kind of struggle with this one, and I think it's because of the dark universe element with it. I really didn't like the movie. I would say not like. I'm going to bump it to the like side of things only because I feel like at least it's kind of going to give us something interesting. So that'll end up kind of giving it the overall like. I 100% agree with that statement, even though I am a no like. 
So talking about what's next, we just figured out our editorial calendar for the next six months of the year, and we're going to publish that so that you guys can all see that. Next month, we are going to do the new movie by Luc Besson. Is that right? Is Am I saying that correctly? It is Valerian. Oui. What did I say that right? We. We. See, it's really French. Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. That's the yeah, we're going to do that one next month. Uh, and I'm excited about that. I wasn't too terribly excited about it until I watched the trailer uh, online. And the whole piece that they're doing with graphic stuff is interesting to me. I think it's potentially the most interesting 3D thing uh, that's come out since Avatar. Anyone? Do- Doctor Strange. Oh, yeah, Doctor Strange was Dr. great. Doctor Strange, yes. You're right. I agree with that. Andy, what uh, series are you guys working on in the Mothership show right now? We are smack dab in the middle of our uh, screenwriter Melissa Matheson series. We're going to be talking about E.T. on the show this week. Wow. I just recently It'll watched that with, uh, with the family, actually. My five-year-old and my seven-year-old watching nice. E.T. It was, a, it was a really interesting movie for them. They weren't as scared of it as I was when I watched it when I was a kid. <laughs> Old version or new version? Were the cops holding flashlights or guns? Oh, uh, no. Good I question. didn't know the difference. I know. I'm going to have to yes. look back at it. Oh, yeah. He did change that. Yep. That was his one little Lucas change. Oh, there are more. <laughs> yeah. There are? Oh, there was a lot yes. more. Oh, my gosh. So we got to listen to the show because that would be a reason yep. to, to, to see. Are you guys going to talk about all that stuff? Yeah, we'll talk about that and uh, just kind of all that sort of stuff. I mean, the nice thing about Spielberg is he at least makes both versions of his film available to people. So. Ah, good point. Well, I was scared of E.T. and I was scared of this movie, too. But despite being scared of it, I really enjoyed talking about it with you guys because, again, I didn't hate it as much as I thought I would. So thank you guys for chatting with me tonight. Uh, I will talk to you again. Tommy Handsome. Hello, thank you guys. I mean, goodbye. <laughs> Good night, Andy Nelson. Thug hole number two, signing out. <laughs> See you soon, Steve Sarmento. I'm going to go drink some root beer and pretend it's Coke. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for listening to the film board tonight. Drop us a dollar on Patreon, but also give us a rating and a review on iTunes. Ratings are super valuable because it helps other listeners find us. Enjoy your month. Till next. Andy, according to my friend, Internet, this is what Letterboxd is. Letterboxd is a global social network for grassroots film discussion and discovery. Use it as a diary to record and share your opinion about films as you watch them, or just keep track of films you've seen in the past. Showcase your favorites on your profile page. That is a lot. You bet it is. That's why I want you to tell our fair listeners just one thing you do with Letterboxd that has changed the way you watch movies. Let them have it. Okay, are you ready for this? So ready. I love lists. As of today, I have 246 lists in my account. I use them to track the movies I watch, organize them in all sorts of different ways. I track them by hand. I clone lists from other people. I use them to plan what I'm going to be watching. All sorts of things. I just, I love creating lists. It's a fantastic tool. Sexiest animated characters. Andy, what is this? We love Letterboxd. And if you're a movie lover, we are sure you will too. And when you upgrade from the free account, you will remove ads and support the great Kiwi team building this amazing service. Just use the discount code NEXTREEL or visit thenextreel.com slash letterboxd to get 20% off your pro or patron membership. 
And it works for renewals as well. 